Hello and welcome to the 2022 Dublin Literary Award Shortlist podcast presented as part of International Literature Festival Dublin. My name is Sean Hewitt. And my name is Jessica Trainer. In this special podcast series, we'll explore each novel in detail as we chat exclusively to the authors and translators shortlisted for the award, the winner of which will be announced on the 23rd of May as part of International Literature Festival Dublin, which, like the award, is sponsored by Dublin City Council. Nominated by libraries around the world, the award is the world's most valuable annual prize for a single work of fiction in English or translated into English, worth €100,000 to the winner or winners. In today's episode, we're looking at The Art of Losing by Alice Senator, translated from the French by Frank Wynne, and nominated by the Bibliothèque Publique d'Information in France. For Hamid, it will be different. It is something they will never speak about. But in the mind of the little boy, this vision will endure. Algiers the white, dazzling. An image that resurfaces the moment the country is mentioned, at once detailed and distant like a model city in a museum display cabinet. The streets that carve the houses into blocks, the peeling buildings that cling to the steep hill, the villas, the Cathedral of Notre Dame d'Afrique that makes Algiers look like Marseille. This is the image that is burned into Hamid's retinas, the one that reappears whenever someone says the world, Algeria. And to him it is a strange sensation, because he saw the city for the first time as the ship sailed away. It is not Algiers that should represent the lost country. The city cannot be lost since it was never owned, in the sense that human beings can come to own a city by hours of walking, by the ability to mentally replace every street sign with an incident that took place there. And yet it is Algiers that he takes with him, without meaning to. Algiers creeps into his suitcase. For Naima, it will be different again. Because for her, the ship will be travelling the other way. It is Marseille that she will watch recede, and Algiers she will see heave into view. She will think of her father, her grandfather. She will think that Algiers does not seem very white. She will think, I'm going to cry, but the tears will not come. And she will even try to force them, telling herself, I need something to happen, even if it is something upsetting or something feigned, because I am arriving in Algeria and I can't just stand here leaning against the gunwale. That was really beautifully read. Um, The reason that I chose this part is because this book is so vast, um, but at the centre of it is this... um, transitional moment where some characters are leaving Algeria um, in a different time frame. And you have the present day character, Naima, uh, looking back into her family history and into the history of Algeria. Um, And we see her at various points journeying back into the narrative that we're currently reading about. So it plays with time in a really interesting way. Uh, So Although Naima's story kind of bookends this book, um, which is in the present uh, day, uh, and then moves back in time to her grandfather's family and then her father's family, um, all the time we have this sense of Naima herself kind of curating or or engaging with the history itself. Mm, I would say it seems fascinating the notion of that kind of subjectivity and the choices that are made and how the narrator kind of imposes themselves on that history. Mm. Um, But also, I suppose, again, we've talked about this with a few different books on this year's short list. This sense of redefining identity seems very important. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
at the beginning of this book, uh, it's an odd place to to start in a way when you when you first enter it, it's not expected. You have Naima waking up with a hangover. Um, and she just starts thinking about what it is to be um, Algerian French, uh, what it is to have a culture um, that is in some ways outside or, or begins before the country that you currently live in, be- begins before your own life. Um, and how do you connect to it? Um, I suppose the title, The Art of Losing, is about what is lost uh, as generations migrate um, and what can be kind of found again. Um, so that method that, that Alice Zenata has of kind of opening up history again and looking for uh, the possibilities in certain moments, what could have happened here, but what did happen, what was lost here uh, and what was uh, what replaced it. Um, she goes back into it and we see Naima um, gradually uh, rediscovering parts of herself, but also struggling with her own identity as a French citizen. Um, on whose side does she stand? This is kind of set, uh, the present day of this narrative is very much in the aftermath of um, the Bataclan attacks and uh, increased tensions between um, white and non-white uh, French citizens. So you get the sense of an embattled um, cultural sphere in which uh, the main character is having to navigate that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting just to think as well about ideas of individual responsibility and national responsibility um, and how you navigate those very tricky waters. You know, how much can you take on board in terms of what went on in the past that you couldn't change or you can't change um, and how do you, I suppose, contribute positively to a better future? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating um, as a set of questions as well because I don't know, I don't know about you, uh, Jess, but this is not a, a period in world history that I knew a great deal about coming into this book. Um, and you really get the sense of of many different possible outcomes, perhaps because I didn't know um, where it was ending up. My, to me, um, the, the historical end point was not already narratively set in my mind. Um, but I think even if you were clued up on uh, the Algerian War of Independence, the great thing that um, this book manages to do is to unpick it uh, and to to make that kind of historical narrative move again. Um, there are a couple of points in which um, the narrator of this book almost places their cards on the table and says, this is a moment that history will pretend could wasn't possible, or this thing was occluded by the narrative of history. But it did happen. Uh, and if we follow that track, or if we look into this domestic relationship or uh, this one relationship between mother and son, we somehow see everything differently. Um, and it really has that sense of, of reclaiming um, different narratives from history as a way of changing the present. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Well, I'm really excited to hear Alice speak about that. Yeah, so uh, join me now for my conversation with Alice Zenata and Frank Wynne about The Art of Losing. 
So hello, Alice and uh, Frank. It's lovely to to be here talking to you about The Art of Losing. Um, It's a book that I have very much enjoyed um, reading over the past fortnight. And Alice, I wondered if I could just begin by asking you about uh, the length of time between the first publication of the book in 2017 and then Frank's translation that uh, we and I have been reading now. does it feel like anything about the book has changed to you over that time? Does it feel like the book has a second life again in English? Um, how does that feel? Well, yeah, it does feel like a like a second life. Um, but I, I'm sure that even if the translation had been uh, done earlier, I would have felt this way because uh, because as well, English is the only other language that I can read, not as easily as French, but uh, uh, but easily enough so that I can read my book in another language in Frank's translation. So I read something different and I have to say, I, I have the feeling that it's way cooler, you know, <laughs> like there is something cool about the English language, something so, so yeah, um, like a fluidity, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> something river-like that I really envy. So it's a different book for me. Yes. Does it feel odd to you to, is it almost like reading a book by someone else when you read it in Frank's translation? Does it give you that distance between your own work and and the book itself now, The Art of Losing? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, somehow it does. And actually, <laughs> I really enjoy it because... Uh, because of this distance, I can uh, I can see my work more clearly as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not like a, if if I try to open uh, the art of losing in French and read a few pages, I will like most of the time I will be really annoyed at myself. Like you know, I will spot some things that I use all the time, and I'm like, oh, you did that again in this sentence again. Oh, come on, you know, like girl, step up, improve your writing. <laughs> Uh, but when I read it translated by by Frank, it's I was ah oh, so I I wrote that and so oh okay it becomes that in English and um, it's really yeah it it doesn't have the same irritating effect on me right uh, okay. so yeah right and Frank how did you come to translate in this book I know that you have translated many books uh, from French uh, how did this one arise and I wonder if there are any particular um, aspirations that you have for translation and does that change for each book or or do you have a a general approach um two things uh brought me to alice's book i was familiar with her work in fact i tried to persuade a publisher to publish her i think her first novel gloomy sunday which is um um, some years ago, so I was already familiar with her work uh, when uh, when this was offered to me. But there's a secondary thing, which is that I have, in the course of of, of uh, my translating career, I've translated a number of novels um, um, set um, uh, written about Algeria and set in Algeria, and it is a subject that that I like a lot, partly because it. It's almost unknown in, um, outside of France. Um, I mean, for a long time in France, it was referred to as the silent war. People, after the amnesty um, in the 1960s, um, basically nobody spoke of it. And so the novels that have been written about uh, the war, the Algerian War of Independence were written not by those who took part in it, but by their children, and more especially their grandchildren. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was something I was going to ask you because as I was reading this book, I obviously it opened up a big chasm of ignorance in my mind, uh, and I wondered if you um, found yourself learning um, or, or having to to research in order to translate uh, the book. Um, and Alice, perhaps you can also tell us a little bit about the research that you did for this book. I mean, research in narrative terms plays it plays a big role in Naima's character as well. Um, so I wonder if, Frank, you could tell us about the process of, of having to uh, research for a translation. Um, and Alice, what was the process of or the relationship between research and fiction in this book? I think all um, translations require a certain amount of research. Um, anything that has um, um, historical element to it um, does all the more so. I mean, it is crucial that uh, that I know um, what is going on. I mean, even at the most simple level, uh, French is a gendered language, English is not a gendered language, which means that if something is referred to as le or la uh, in French, I need to know whether it's a person, um, a battle, a, um, a group or, or splinter group within within a war. Uh, I can't just go around saying she when you suddenly then, just, you know. So there's quite a lot of that. But there's also... Um, you can't really effectively translate something that you don't truly understand. Um, now, in part, the fact that I had translated a number of other novels um, set in, during the, the um, Algerian uh, War of Independence um, helped, but this is set um, in Kabylia, which most of them are not, uh, and among the Kabyl people, which, again, are much less to the fore in in French writing. I mean, even in France, there is a, um, um, a tendency to assume that everyone from the Maghreb is, is Arabic, and they're not, nor is their language necessarily Arabic. Um, so there was quite a lot, I mean, both culturally and in terms of, of, of language and, and so forth, that, that I would have wanted to look up. I mean, actually, I would have wanted to do so even if I were a reader, but as a translator, I had to. Mm. But also, I think, it, it, as you've just said, and uh, I'd be interested to hear what Alice, Alice has to say about this, um, the structure of the novel is about research. It is about finding out. Um, so Naima is, is constantly, um, you know, she says at, at some point um, 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 that it is a terrible thing to, to realise that um, your country, that, you know, all you, everything you know about your country can fit in a single Wikipedia article. Uh, and of course, whether or not it is her country and whatever is is is, is the crux of the book. So yes, I'd be interested to know mm. how much Alice was researching as she wrote, or whether she did all of her research before, or didn't need to do any. <laughs> yeah, Alice, um, there was a, a a line in just right near the beginning of the book, actually, um, in Frank's translation. Uh, this is one more reason why fiction and research are equally necessary. They are all that remains to fill the silences handed with the vignettes from one generation to the next. So I wonder if you could talk about um, where you chose to fictionalize or, or add um, the tools of fiction to fill a silence and where you used research and what that process was, was like for you. This sentence is really um, is describing quite precisely what this book has been for me. Uh, and 
for me, you know, like regarding the the family stories, the very little, very few family stories that had been passed on uh, between generations. So I only had like fragments, like so, sometimes fragments with dates, you know, years, sometimes just like very blurry thing. At some point, something happened. Some, you know, at some, uh, at some point, the torrent. At some point, the goat. At some point, the blooming flowers. Uh, and Algeria was things like that. And then, you know, like, uh, uh, and at some point, we fled away. Um, and when I was writing, I really wanted to take all these little uh, dots. Uh, you know, because I felt they're my only heritage. Mm. So I want to take that and I want to draw lines between them uh, so I can uh, so I can have a, a full novel. And uh, and so for that, yeah, I had to research and to invent quite a, quite a lot of research because, of course, because if I had only the dots, it meant I didn't have any context for that. So I needed to go back to uh, history books, sociology books to find out the, the bigger pictures, you know, like mm-hmm. because I have like one precise goat on a precise field in the mountain. What is what is surrounding uh, this this precise picture that my dad kept, you know, what is all around. And uh, and fiction, you know, like when I, I started to do the, the research, trying to understand the country my family was from and what, you know, what could be, not my family history, but a history that could, a story that could resemble it, you know, mm-hmm. like come close to it. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I fictionalized it because I'm a writer, and I guess <laughs> yeah. somehow it's my first instinct when I, I when I you know approach something that I don't get quite well, that I don't understand, or that might hurt me even. Mm. Like writing a fiction around it, bending it into the fiction is is my natural reflex mm. uh, to uh, yeah to to fit into to yeah to to be able to walk with this new thing mm. that enters my life mm. it's really interesting to to hear you uh, speak about um, reading history books and and sociology books because to me this book also felt to be about the process of writing history or, or historiography uh, in terms of how we imagine history to be uh how we write it how we view it uh, what our relationship to it as a as a culture uh, might be there was one moment in the book um uh, where you describe a scene and say uh, a moment like this would have been made inexplicable by history uh history might conceal it or might uh, close off the possibility of of a moment like this um and i wonder how if you wanted to make history malleable again or, or, or you were able to move history, to set it in motion again, uh, because it felt to me that perhaps the present tense of this narrative also gave us the the sense of possibilities opening up in history again and, and it not being this fixed, received narrative, but something that is text, something that can be moved, something that can be opened up in new ways again was that something you became conscious of as you wrote or was it something that you set out to do yeah uh, it's something that i really wanted to do uh in a very conscious way but i have to say uh, i wanted to do that 
um, with the history meaning like not not the science, you know, not not the research that they do in uh, in uh, universities. Uh, not, not the my problem is not with history as historians. Uh, do it because it's very it's very well alive you know and discovering new things every day and then you know like a, uh, trying to rewrite some of the stories that people have been passing on because not no you know we found this thing this new document my problem was with history as it's told by politicians and as it's um, been used mm. about this uh, this community of uh, of people that we call the harkis mm. uh and uh, and that there is a fixed story on both sides of uh, the Mediterranean Sea, like Algeria saying that they are traitors, you know, like they're really, they're, they're villains, like from Shakespeare's plays, you know, like they, they want to kill and they want evil and then they laugh saying like, I just wish I could have killed a thousand more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the French side, they're supposed to be like, you know, really like French lovers, uh, proof that the French colonization was indeed a good thing in mm-hmm. Algeria, mm-hmm. and these narratives, like they're they're absolutely terrible, you know. And it's like they make these people choke on their own narratives. They cannot tell their stories because they don't fit mm-hmm. in the national uh, narrative on both sides of the of the sea. And that I wanted to change. I, I actually wanted to take this word uh, back from mm-hmm. from a. Uh, uh, well, my enemies, <laughs> if I can say that, it's uh, even if you know it sounds very punchy and very direct. Actually, it's more blurry uh, and and vague. But I wanted to be able to use this word again. This word, you know, that I was told about when I was growing up. Don't use it. You know, like it might expose you to danger. It might it, it might expose you to prejudices. And then I was like, well. Yeah, but it's attached to my family story. Like my, it's supposed to describe my grandfather, my father, and even myself. Mm. So if I cannot use it, you know, I'm um, I, I'm in a big mess. So I just, I want to write a story in which I put this word so much that at the end it cannot it cannot uh, design a single story. Yeah. It will, you know, it will say like it's about 1000 different stories mm. and one you know like and and a hundred of thousand of people mm. so don't use it thinking you know what it means yeah uh, it means so many things it means nothing yeah that really comes through i mean one thing i really loved uh, about the book as well was um the way in which the the lens or the the narrative uh, shifts often uh, so we can uh, take it as a um there is one historical linear uh, narrative perhaps, but it's constantly uh, seen in hindsight by Naima or in some ways put into context uh, through sociological studies or um, there are moments in which you kind of turn the narrative uh, into a new tense uh, and look outwards or, or reframe it. Um, Frank, what was it like to to navigate a book that had a, uh, had that sort of complex shift in tense and um, and was was not linear? Was that something that was um, uh, a challenge for you? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, the problem tends to come when you're trying to go through this with an editor, and they say, "Why have you changed tense in the middle of the sentence?" And I say, "Because the author has changed tense in the middle of the sentence." And they said, "Well, why has she done that?" And I said, "Well, you know, I mean, actually, the Romance languages, both French and Spanish, the two from which I translate, frequently you shift into the present tense to suggest immediacy, even if we're already in the past." 
um, but they also frequently uh, will use uh, the pluperfect tense for long stretches, which is uncomfortable in, in, in English, uh, where we prefer to use the simple past. Um, I find it extraordinary because actually what you were discussing about history i mean quite a, um, there's there's a somebody someone we haven't yet mentioned so there are parts of the book that appear to be written by an omniscient narrator there are those that are recounted by naima but there is also an author who every now and again says this is what I was thinking when I would... And so there is an I that comes back into the book that could be Alice, that could be, you know, somebody else. So you have this sort of palimpsest which begins with documents and are filtered through the lens of, of Naima and are then filtered again through the lens of whoever it is who is speaking for Naima, since this is, uh, I mean, at, at the very, very beginning, it says, you know, um, this is not the start of my book. My book starts with, with, with Naima, um, um, even though chronologically it should be. And I think that shifting is hugely important to um, to Alice's sort of re-evocation of history as a living thing, that histories are multiple, and the moment you begin to try and condense them down into a single accepted history, whether that is the multiple histories of Algeria as presented in French textbooks, or indeed um, the histories, of, the individual histories of Harky families and so forth, as it would now be represented either in Algeria, as these are traitors to the nation, or in France, as these are people who fought for us, but who, you know, once they came here, we wanted nothing to do with. Mm, mm. One thing that has really struck me, uh, both reading this book and another book on the shortlist, um, At Night All Blood is Black by David Diop, um, was that there, there seems, at least from, from my limited uh, perspective, uh, in French literature to be um, a willingness or an openness to address colonial histories, at least from, from uh, new writers in the novel form. And it seems like something that um, is lacking in other um, colonies uh, or, or um, in the literature of, of, of nations that, that were once uh, colonizers. Um, uh, Frank, I believe you, you live in London and you can hear my accents um as, mm -hmm. as an english writer with uh an irish family um i find myself on on the border of these uh, two things as well um i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that broader context for for the book elise and and frank as well uh, addressing uh, colonial histories in france how how is that treated in in literature and is it a new um, is it something that is being pushed and received well now, or, or have you met with any sort of um, backlash about trying to reclaim uh, those narratives or to open them up? Well, it's it's um, it's a difficult question because it's really um, uh, it's actually really big and uh, involves a lot of uh, uh, different parts of the literary fields. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that I was actually really happy. Uh, I was actually, in fact, lucky, uh, I felt, because uh, I know that uh, the subject of uh, uh, the, the, the memories of uh, Algeria in, uh, in France, they are like, uh, yeah, they, they are prompt to, um, to start a battle. Like, uh, you know, we have this uh, famous expression of uh, there is a memory war. 
uh, that is still going after the end of the physical war. And that, so, you know, between different communities, there is this thing that if you talk about the suffering of an, another uh, community that was in, uh, in the country at this time, you're erasing uh, the other communities so you know that also this kind of uh, yeah don't talk about them talk about us we suffered that we suffered more mm. um, and it makes the um, that public uh, conversation about it very difficult so I was sure I would be taken in a in a maelstrom in a in a, in a violent storm and I wasn't because fiction protects me uh, mm. the authority that I have as a writer kind of helps me to uh, take a step back so you know like I was yeah you're telling me that for your family it was like that for your family it was like that but if I decide that my character hasn't seen it well that's it you know there is nothing that you can do and I'm not denying anything that happens to your family I'm just saying like this was the line followed by my character this is the world that I've created by fiction um then uh, on a uh, on a bigger pictures like more uh, politics of edition and all, yeah, we are starting to have um, to give uh, a space uh, to those uh, narratives of uh, colonization, which are not from the point of view of colonizers, because for a while it was only that. So you know, like uh, the former pied noir going back to France and writing about lost Algeria and uh, we even have a word for that nostalgia which is you know like a, a mix between nostalgia and mm. Algeria and uh, and they wrote about it and all the texts that I could read growing up they were from uh, from the, the former Pied-Noir and the Arabics and the Berber, they were merely some background figures, you know, uh, like, yeah, like a camel mm-hmm. or a palm tree and, oh, an Arabic man. Mm-hmm. And they had no names and they had no face. So we are starting to accept this shift of, uh, um, yeah, of narratives in which actually they can be told by uh, the people that France called the indigenous for uh, so long. But it's not that simple either because, you know, somehow we are used to have multiple stories of the French white population. But if you tell the story of a minority uh, group, then then one is enough, you know. So after my book, like if you want to write about Haki or you want to write about the Algerian war, publishers might tell you like, it's been done already. Zeniter, you know, Zeniter has done it a couple of years ago. Like, you know, no need for a, another book about it. Um, and so, and, and, and it's the same for, for David Diop. So, you know, like, oh, the Tirailleur Senegalais again, come on, like it's been done, you know. And you're like, well, I think I've read like 150 novels in the last five years about, you know, a white, uh, white man who wants to write and cannot write and who wants to fuck and cannot get a hard on. And no, you know, like, uh, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And no one says like, it's been done already by Michel Welbeck. Come on, you know, think about something else. But for the minorities, we have that. And the last thing that I think is changing and, uh, and that's good. It's this new narratives that we have we are starting to look at them as literature and not uh and not a testimony not you know mm. like like not uh, something that is that is uh you know i've been there i've witnessed that and i write about it and uh, uh and actually you know it's 
just as good as the archive it will be in 10 years, but it's not a novel. Mm. Uh, that is changing slowly, but that is changing. And I think that, yeah, the, the reception that that video got, the reception that The Art of Losing got, is something that is a, that is a proof of these changes. Mm. Mm. And Frank, is it something that you, you have seen as well in French literature? I know, as you've said, you've... Um, it's, have a particular um, interest in novels of Algeria. I mean, there, there, there are two separate things. I mean, one is that there has been um, a, a generational shift um, where since the early 2000s, there have been um, novels that deal with not just Algeria, but the French Indo-Chinese War and so on and so forth from a point of view that is not, as uh, as Alice says, nostalgérie, uh, which is, you know, uh, there was for a long time, I mean, the sort of the lost empire. And so, I mean, um, the French would still refer to Vietnam as Anam, uh, which was the, uh, or they would still refer to Cochin as though it meant anything. Uh, and they had this sort of uh, romantic sense of their role there. But writers like, like Alice, like Alexis Jenny in The French Art of War, uh, like um, Antonine Varenne, um, and also um, um, writers based in Algeria but writing in French, like Boulam Sansal, um, have begun to explore that further and also explore the sort of... I mean, I think all, um, all countries um, have their own mythologies. I mean, as an Irish translator, mm. there's quite a lot... Uh, going on in um, The Art of Losing that I understand. The founding narratives of what Ireland is are very different if you were taught in England about Irish history and if you were taught in Ireland about Irish history. And there is a national narrative about what the Irish Civil War was. I mean, it is stunning that the two principal political parties in Ireland are still divided by which side they took during the Civil War rather than by any specific policies. Um... Um, despite the fact that this is, you know, um, a century ago now. Um, um, so that was something that I was very aware of. Um, and while, you know, um, I was very conscious that, you know, Alice having, well, Neymar, shall we say, having very few sort of crumbs and morsels to go through in what is a hugely important history. My father, who was quite old when I was born, was born in 1901, which means that he lived through the First World War, the 1916 Rising, the Irish Civil War, um, the Second World War, um, the Black and Tans, etc., etc. But he died when I was very young. He also never spoke about any of these things. These are a couple of dots. There are a few medals. There are a few pieces of paper. If I wanted to recreate them, then like Alice, I would have to use a blend of research and fiction to, to, to tie them together. But you also said, um, you know, how certain um, cultures and, and countries deal with colonialism and others don't. And it is true that, you know, um, English language writing and particularly British writing still has a depressing romantic view of the Raj. I mean, not, I mean, it's one thing to go back to Paul Scott's novels, which are actually um, very truthful about what the Raj is or was. But I mean, this extends into sort of little romances like, you know, uh, the Grand Marigold Hotel. This is this sort of hankering for an India that um, was, that is and was colonial, um, the colonial Raj. 
One of the things that, as a translator, um, um, and uh, I find astonishing is that, um, despite its historic links with um, the Indian subcontinent, almost no novels are translated from uh, in in Britain uh, from. Hindi, Bengali, Malayam, uh, Kerala, um, et cetera, et cetera. We sort of assume, or the British sort of assume, that because they've got Vikram Seth, because they've got Salman, because they've got um, Arundhati Roy, that they have all the stories they need written for them directly in English. And that's simply not true. Mm. Frank, it was really interesting to, to hear you bring up um, Irish history and and. Um, how that exists in your life, Alice. Um, I noticed a couple of times in the book where um, there was kind of references to the film Michael Collins and there was also the Clancy Brothers was in here. Um, were you thinking kind of um, cross-colonially uh, in, in terms of the, the looking for um, scraps of, of, of knowledge of other colonial struggles. Um, d was that something that you found in the archive, that there was this kind of transnational sense of uh, colonial struggle um, across Irish history and then Algerian history? Um, I wonder if you could just very briefly, since we're based in Dublin, uh, talk about how, how and why you included um, this kind of glimpses of Irish history in the novel. Uh, well, because um, um, because I think when I started to write the art of losing, like the very first, you know, like notes and pages, um, I was uh, uh, <laughs> I had an, an Irish boyfriend, and I was going to Dublin a lot, and I was amazed to discover that uh, you know, like in addition of uh, uh, of course, you know, like of uh, having to. Uh, having to think about history a lot between the colonized and the colonizers, I was realizing every time I, uh, I came to Ireland that uh, when you're part of uh, from an empire, like, you will really see the world through the lenses of this empire. And, um, and the, you know, like the dynamic or the opposition between colonizers and colonized, they're only in the, in the reach of the empire you're from. And you know basically nothing about the other one. Uh, and so, you know, like, of course, like, uh, I know that, uh, you know, like uh, England uh, uh, possessed India or, or this kind of, but it's really, for me, it's really vague. I was never taught that. And, uh, and, and yeah, I knew that uh, uh, Ireland, you know, like raised against um, uh, the English oppression, but I, I, you know, like when, how, mm -hmm. uh, for, for how long, how violent, and, and I, I realized that for me it was really, you know, like it has never been quite a possibility to imagine uh, colonized people as white. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, you know, like you have to reconfigure everything, uh, everything you think you know about empire, colonization, by discovering a new, a new history. Mm -hmm. And I was really like, I had quite an appetite for that for learning this new history. So it just, you know, just went through the book because uh, my head was full of it, of all the stories I was asking for again and again and again, you know, being like telling me, I know nothing about that. I feel ashamed that I know nothing about about that. So tell me, tell me more, tell me something. That's great, because I'm sure that readers will come to, to your book with um, the same 
uh, enthusiasm and eagerness to to learn. Uh, it's a book that I found endlessly fascinating, uh, and I wish I could talk to you, uh, you. for for a long time about it. Um, but I've taken enough of your time, so I just want to say thank you very much uh, for coming to talk to us uh, about the art of losing. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in to the other episodes as we count down to the 2022 Dublin Literary Award winner announcement. You can read this year's shortlisted titles from public libraries around the island or borrow them as e-books and e-audiobooks on the free BorrowBox app. Plus, you can enter to win your own copies of the six shortlisted books by entering the giveaway running now through the 17th of May on ILF Dublin's social media channels. Wherever you're listening from, we invite you to join us for the online award ceremony on Monday the 23rd of May. You can book your free ticket at www.ilfdublin.com and browse the other fantastic events in this year's International Literature Festival Dublin programme.